From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. I'm Clark Corbin. So here we are, year three of this process to rewrite a school funding formula. We're getting down to crunch time, and I sat there Monday morning um, covering this meeting, and I was struck by how little we still, how much we don't know yet, and how much is still under wraps in this process that we know is going to be contentious and we know has been a protracted process. I guess I feel like I want to start there. Yeah, and this is a big deal, Kevin. We're talking about rewriting uh, perhaps the state's school funding formula, uh, this complicated formula that drives uh, some $1.8 billion each year out from the state uh, to its school districts and charters, as we've talked about is our Readers and listeners know education is the largest expense every year uh, in the general fund in the state of Idaho. And this new funding formula is all about how we carve up that money. It's a huge deal. As you said, we've been watching it for three years, but there's so much that we, the public, the news media, educators, taxpayers, parents, administrators just don't know. And so let's start through there and where we're at right now and, and, and what we don't know. Okay, so let's set the scene for what uh, what unfolded on Monday morning. Uh, I, I was there; a pretty sizable audience was there. Uh, you had education leaders, you had you know several legislators in the audience. You had you know a who's who of education yeah. stakeholders: uh, school boards association, school administrators association, the Idaho Education Association, the folks you would expect to see at a meeting of this. Uh, of this magnitude on this topic, most of the morning meeting was spent um, sort of playing around and running scenarios on a spreadsheet. Now, I, I like playing on a spreadsheet as much as the next uh, numbers wonk. But what was what was jarring about this particular exercise was you had legislators and uh, the consultants who've been working on this new formula or the framework of this new formula working on a spreadsheet looking at how changes in some of the variables, changes in some of the factors would affect school funding in individual districts. I mean, it got down to the point of looking at if we change the weighting for, you know, let's say English language learners or at-risk students, how would that affect the funding for District X or District Y? If we add $100 million to the formula, you know, how will that affect uh, some of the peaks and valleys and some of the winners and losers in this? That's how most of the morning was spent uh, with, with legislators and consultants sort of, you know, trying some things out, trying to get a feel for what happens with the formula and what happens in the schools, you know, affecting 300,000 kids eventually. If you change some of the assumptions and some of the, uh, you know, some, some of the ground rules in this formula, the problem is that the spreadsheet, which is the, the heart and soul of this committee's work, the right. heart and soul of the consultant's work for this committee, that spreadsheet remains uh, unavailable to the public. I asked during a break if this spreadsheet will be publicly available. I asked the consultant, uh, Michael Griffith, with uh, Education Commission uh, of the States. He said, well, give us about a week. Uh, we're still working on some bugs. We're still trying to figure out um, a couple of, couple of fixes. So here we are. I mean, it, this is a, a spreadsheet that apparently is not 
ready for public consumption to the point where it, it will be publicly released, but was ready for public consumption enough that you had 10 legislators in a public meeting uh, playing around with the numbers. It was moving very fast. Uh, I got a sense of, in general, where some of the winners and losers might be. But it was it was fairly rapid fire, even for those of us who were in the audience. And I had a pretty close seat right by one of the projectors so I could see what was going on on the spreadsheet. I have no idea how this looked or how people could follow this on uh, on the feed, on, on the streaming. Um, I, I do know that the committee held off on taking up the formula and, and working on the spreadsheet until they had the, the streaming going. So in fairness to the committee, they did do that. But I have no idea if you were watching this on your laptop at home or in your office and you were trying to sort out what the committee was talking about, I, I honestly don't know if you could do that. And I guess that's kind of an open-ended question. If you're listening and you were watching this uh, on your computer on Monday, I'd be really curious to see if you were able to follow it. I, I don't know the answer to that question, so I'm just kind of... Well, and you talked about, you know, sitting a good seat in the auditorium and not being able to really follow it, but I was not there Monday. I've covered a couple of the funding formula committee meetings, and I get the sense that we're talking about a significant change. You know, the big thing is we're moving from attendance to enrollment, and that may feel like semantics. It, it's not at all. It's a big change. But we also get into what do we do with fractional enrollment, students who move uh, from school to school during the year, students who may attend part of the day at a homeschool environment, but maybe they want to take German and calculus at their local traditional school. Uh, what kind of funding weights do we have, extra funding boosts for English language learners or special education students. At-risk students. At-risk students. It's a big deal, and I get the sense that it's going to be a big debate during the legislative session, and I get the sense that in order to move forward, we need to have a transparent process with large amounts of buy-in. Right. And I just, that gives me pause at this point. It, 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 gives, it gives me pause as well as, I, as I've watched this process unfold, um, because... It's not just about me getting my hands on the spreadsheet. It's about you know folks in the education community uh, having the ability to look at the spreadsheet. I, I talked to one education leader after who, who said, you know, it, my membership really can't even you know offer really meaningful input into how this formula might work and how this formula might might affect schools if we don't have the if we don't have the spreadsheet. If we can't do our own independent research. How can we uh, arrive at any kind of recommendations that may that may make the formula better? That may make the formula work more effectively. I mean, you know, I, I think um, the folks who are watching this, uh, yes, school funding is a very parochial issue. It eventually always comes down to how is my local school going to fare with this new formula? Are we going to win? Or are we going to lose? That that that's always going to be part of this debate. But I also think that you've got folks watching this who who realize if we're going to change the formula, if we're going to modernize the formula, let's try to get it right. Let's try to get something that's not only more streamlined, but ultimately equitable and, and fair and and really does treat at-risk students fairly. That really does come up with the right weighting for at-risk students or ELL students or special education students. So the students who really need extra funding for extra support get the funding support that they really need. And I can't even imagine 
Um, let's say you're a, an administrator or a teacher or a taxpayer in a growing school district in the Magic Valley or Eastern Idaho, or you're an administrator or a teacher in a small remote school district up in North Idaho, sitting on pins and needles wondering how this new funding formula is going to affect your school, your community, the heart and soul of your community, not being able to travel to Boise, not being able to meet with the consultants and wondering how this is going to affect your district and just not knowing but I also get the sense if they opened it up and sent the formula out there that people could test drive it and say, oh, hey, maybe it's not too late. Maybe you didn't consider this. Maybe you don't understand how CASA works or maybe you don't understand what's going on with my virtual school over here because it's kind of different and, and unique. But I get the sense that at this point, this close to the legislative session, this close to the committee's deadline before they disband that that it should be out there. Let people test drive it and see it and play with it and provide their feedback. And maybe, perhaps, we avoid some big unexpected disappointment or surprise come February during the heart of the legislative session when it is too late at that point. But why not open it up to the public and to the business managers and the teachers and the superintendents who know how their district would be affected and let them test drive it, for goodness sake. Well, yeah. Here's what the debate comes down to over disclosure. And spoiler alert, you know, before I get there, you know, I'm going to wind up uh, defaulting towards transparency because, you know. Well, <laughs> sure. But, and, and here's why. Uh, I think the concern about releasing the spreadsheet while it's a document that's still being worked on, while bugs are being worked out, is that if you put it out in the public and people start playing around with the spreadsheet, folks who, who really are intimate about this topic are going to freak out if, if they if they come up with a way that you know oh my goodness you know our district loses 30 percent of its funding if you do this sort of uh, set of variables if you do this sort of uh, you, know, you know set of weightings yes i'm sure that somebody could do that with that formula playing around with it at home or playing around with it at the office i think if i had it uh on my computer i could probably play around by trial and error and come up with a a doomsday funding scenario that could you know you know be horrible for any school district that i chose you know just you know put a, put a pin on the map and say okay how are we going to stick it to this district and how do you create a, a formula that really would be terrible for that district sure you could do all of that and and there's going to be so the the concern is that you've got you know you'll have this public freak out over this formula and how bad it could be for some districts. I, I'm just not buying it. I'm, I'm not buying it because I think the folks who really care most about this formula, let's face it, it's not going to be uh, a lot of folks in the general public uh, doing this on a Saturday night. But what you will have if you had this uh, available to the public, it's not just reporters uh, you know, trying to get a sense of how this thing works. It will be superintendents. It will be trustees. It will be district business managers yeah. and charter school administrators. Folks who live in this environment and understand this funding formula a lot more intimately than I do, and can understand, and can understand the subtlety of what the, what's being done here with the formula, or what's being what's attempt what the legislators are attempting to do with this funding formula. I, I don't. I I'll default towards transparency on this because I just think it's a better process in general, but especially because I think the folks who are going to benefit the most from having access to the spreadsheet are the folks who understand it the most in the first place and are going to be able to 
look at the nuances of it and, and appreciate the nuances of this formula because they deal with the formula all the time. I, I, I don't think, I, I just don't think that, you know, the folks who are most intimately involved in this process are going to uh, act uh, irrationally when they see this uh, spreadsheet. I, I, I just don't understand why this isn't available to the public um, because there are, there are a, lot, a lot of people who need to kind of get their hands dirty with this thing and try to figure out what would happen, you know, good or bad, you know, you know, play around, figure out the implications and get a sense of how this might work. Oh, I'm with you here on the side of transparency. And, and I give the people that would be looking at this a lot of credit. They are mature enough to handle this. I've gone to a lot of meetings where policy drafts and policy proposals are debated among education groups and school district leaders and the stakeholders, and they're mature enough to handle that yeah. uh, and to handle that discussion. They're also mature enough to take a look at Superintendent Ibarra's budget request when she uh, releases it to the public several months before the legislative session. Um, they're mature enough to handle that. Nobody's freaking out or, or melting down. But I also think that there would be some value that, oh, okay, maybe we should know that this formula, is, as presented, would affect this district in this certain way. Maybe we should know that, eyes wide open going into it. Maybe your local legislator would like to know, before they have to cast a difficult vote, about how your local school districts, both small and large, uh, rural and urban, would be affected. But I think and that... And how much is this going to cost right. in terms of, you know, let's take a step back. Because when we talk about winners and losers in this thing, all along, the legislators have talked about a hold harmless. For up to five years, I'm hearing. And... and that means exactly what it sounds like. We're going to set up some sort of a, you know, a safety net to where no school district gets uh, you know, sees a, a drop in funding. Right. Or you know, like you say, it, it may be three years, it may be five years, is what we're talking about. But how much does that cost taxpayers? How much? That's the cost of the implementation of a new funding formula. It's a one-time cost because it's a hold harmless period, but that's tax dollars. Now, how much does it cost? to cushion the blow as we move into a new funding formula. I couldn't We don't know that yet. Guess. And you can't even guess until you get a sense of what this formula looks like, and that's where the spreadsheet comes into play. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you staying on top of it. If you want to head over to idahoednews.org, one of our top stories from earlier in the week, I believe that came out on Monday, so scroll down a little bit, find Kevin's report about how the uh, formula is not out Look at the, the big, look for the big photo of legislators looking at a spreadsheet. Seriously, yeah. that's the art uh, that goes along with the story. I appreciate you staying on top of it. We have at least one more meeting we're looking October forward to. October 24th, I believe, yeah. is the date. So we will be back with the committee in a few weeks. Just under a month's time. And I know we'll continue to follow it. And if the funding formula is released or if we are successful in obtaining the funding formula early, uh, we will publish it yes. and send it out far and wide. So uh, thank you for that, Kevin, and, and certainly stay tuned. We'll continue to follow that up. So let's shift gears to a story that you did this week, Clark, um, looking at student engagement. This is something we've talked about before. Uh, you took a closer look at it. Uh, what did you find? And again, why is student engagement, uh, why does that matter in the, in the bigger picture? Let's start with why student engagement matters, because the results were a little all over the board, and we'll get into that in a minute. But 
Student engagement is essentially um, a new metric that Idaho state officials are tracking, and it's important because it was built into the state of Idaho's new accountability plan, and it was also chosen by state leaders as one of uh, a handful of indicators that was used to determine the list of lowest performing schools uh, that was released at the tail end of this summer. So it's important because it's a new metric we're tracking. Uh, it's built into accountability and it helped determine that lowest performing schools list. And when we talk about student engagement, what we're referring to is the degree of attention and interest that children show when they are learning or being taught. Uh, researchers have said that this is important because students who are engaged are more likely to perform well on standardized tests and are less likely to drop out of schools. Um, so that's kind of why it matters and, and where it's coming from. And what happened was late last school year, students in grades kindergarten through eighth grade filled out these 20 question surveys uh, online that were designed to uh, produce a response, uh, produce a kind of an average about how uh, engaged students are. So it's self-reported. Uh, at this point, it was in grades uh, kindergarten through eighth grade, so your elementary schools and your middle schools. And overall, on average, the state found that 65% of Idaho's K through eight students are considered to be engaged at school. And kind of interestingly, when you narrow that gap and go up to the middle school grades of six through eight, um, the average of students who are engaged drops down to 58%. Um, Disengaged teenagers, who, who would have imagined? Yeah, right? and so that kind of squares with some of the research that's out there, and I think state officials were expecting that. Um, but it varies widely, as you might imagine, from district to district. I talked to the Madison School District and Eastern Idaho Superintendent Jeff Thomas and one of the principals out there. Uh, they have two of the highest levels of engagement of any public schools in the state at Kennedy and Hibbard Elementary Schools out there. I talked to Jeff Thomas uh, last week about that, and he said it really comes down to this district-wide mindset of putting, uh, he almost views families as customers, and putting customers first, and he says that customers have a decision on where they can spend their money and where they can take their students. So he talked about open lines of communication with the parents, about having parents out for regular uh, math and literacy nights, for having uh, donuts with dads or muffins with moms in the morning, and for having this culture where a parent will feel comfortable as opposed to intimidated if they had a, a mm -hmm. question for their building principal or a question for their classroom teacher. Uh, so he talked about all about a, uh, a healthy relationship with the community and kind of a family-first uh, growth mindset. Uh, on the other end of the spectrum, uh, I, I talked to the superintendent from uh, the Plummer Worley School District, and they had one of the lowest, they had the lowest level of student engagement at, uh, at one of their schools, and they said it's something that they've been uh, working on. But at Lakeside Middle School, just 31% of students were engaged. That's the lowest level of any school in the state. It's been kind of a and riddle. school also came in as one of the lowest performing schools in the state. It was also on the lowest. They had uh, multiple schools. Right. I believe two schools uh, on the lowest performing list. Yeah, uh, the, the entire Plummer Worley district, if I'm remembering right. Yeah, and so I talked to the superintendent, Judy Sherrod. She said uh, student engagement has been kind of a something that they've been concerned about uh, for years out there, and they're really trying to uh, leverage some of the state resources that will be available to low-performing schools and to forge partnerships with the Coeur d'Alene tribe. A lot of uh, students and families in the Plummer Worley district uh, are members of the Coeur d'Alene tribe, and so they're trying to ramp up partnerships 
with uh, the tribe there and try to include families more. I talked to the Filer School District superintendent. They also had one of the lowest levels of student engagement in the state, uh, the lowest level of any school not on the low-performing schools list. Uh, I talked to their superintendent there. He had a couple of concerns. He said he was frustrated that the surveys were administered at a time when students were taking standardized tests. He wondered if that sort of uh, yielded some frustration and some fatigue. That was kind of the last thing students wanted to be doing at that moment. And sure, okay, I can see that. He also suggested that the information available, and all of the information at the grade band level is available to building administrators and district superintendents. Uh, Superintendent Graham and Filer expressed concern that it's not specific enough that they can really zero down yet on something that they're falling short on other than overall, is, is what he said. That was his read of the data. So he'd like a little bit more specific, actionable data. Um, but it is kind of all over the place. When we talk about elementary and middle schools, we have data for more than 400 schools. Um, and so the averages are out there. Uh, we've talked to some of the high flyers and, and some of the, uh, the lower performing uh, schools when it comes to student engagement. If you want to head to idahoednews.org, you can check out that story. It's a big data set, but there is a link about two-thirds of the way down that story to the SDE website. And if you wanted to download the spreadsheet yourself, uh, we follow. We provide a link that you can follow and look See, at your local school you district. Here's a spreadsheet you can get your hands on. This is a spreadsheet you can get your hands on uh, to look at your local school district and find out what levels of engagement are out there. Uh, keep in mind, this only applies to elementary and middle schools at this mm-hmm. point. It's right. not a factor for high schools. Um, but what's coming next is parent and teacher surveys that will be launched later this school year under a similar fashion as the student surveys. Uh, There was a meeting on Friday about that, and so the state is getting geared up for that. But that's coming next, but it's kind of an important shift in accountability. We're asking students and now parents and teachers what they think about schools. And so why did we do this article? We're trying to track this new metric, Mm -hmm. find out what the state is doing with the data, and uh, to try and ask around and find out to what degree folks think the data is valid. So if you're interested in that, want to find out a little bit more about that, head on over to idahoednews.org and check out my report. It was published on uh, Wednesday, I believe. Well, it feels like it wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk a little bit about the uh, school safety issue and the the, the, the shifting sands of this uh, debate. And and we experienced it both uh, to some degree. I mean, you... You wrote about uh, there is a truce now in the uh, in the logo dispute in in, <laughs> but but and it goes a little bit deeper than that. I mean, okay. it's not just about it logos. isn't just about the logo, but yeah, late Friday of last week, so just right after we posted last week's podcast, uh, broke a story about Representative Wendy Horman saying that she appreciates uh, some of the changes that Superintendent Ybarra made uh, both to her school safety plan, uh, the Kiss proposal, and to the website where she was. Uh, uh, presenting that logo. Uh, Representative Horman felt that the superintendent clarified that it was one of several featured resources available. But so there was this controversy about the logo. Uh, there's a the truce now. The Office of School Safety and Security. Yeah. Know. And it was all about are we working together? Are we endorsing each other? But beyond the logo, I think the important thing, the important take home message is there are signs that the Office of School Safety. In security, at least Representative Horman, who's the chair of that advisory board, is expressing an interest in working together with Superintendent of Public Instruction, Sherry Ybarra, with her school safety plan. These were sort of 
not competing plans, but they hadn't really worked together thus far. Uh, now the two sides have come together and say, you know what, uh, let's put our differences aside and work together uh, for the interest of student safety. And so I think one of the important things that happened was when you were covering a webinar late yes, Thursday yes. night talking about using some data to inform this expensive grant proposal. I think that's important, and I think that's a sign of some willingness to work together. Um, right, so, so the night before the, the truce, the logo truce, if you will, uh, so a week ago Thursday, uh, Matt McCarter from the State Department of Education uh, hosted a webinar to talk about the KISS proposal. And th there was an element of, um, I wouldn't call it damage control, I think that's too strong, but I think there was, there was an element of, of trying to extend an olive branch, especially to the Office of School Safety and Security. McCarter talked at length about how the security audits, the, the site audits that the, the office is doing, and they've been to about two-thirds of the schools yep. across the state by now. Those audits, which really look at safety uh, deficiencies on the ground in these schools, those audits will be used as the, the, the centerpiece uh, for how the state will distribute grant money to help schools uh, enhance safety and, and security. So, yeah, this felt like a, a bit of a breakthrough in the sense that you, I got a better sense of how the State Department of Education wants to work with the, the Office of School Safety and Security and try to incorporate their, their research because, you know, this is an office that was created two years ago by mm -hmm. the legislature. As we mentioned, they've been on the ground. They've been doing this for two years. They've been in two-thirds of the schools. So there's a considerable amount of work that's already They're been up and done. running. Whereas uh, Ybarra's uh, is still at the proposal stage. Never been discussed by the legislature. We don't know what's going to happen to it. You know, just like we don't know what's going to happen with uh, the election coming up in a few weeks. And so uh, the KISS proposal is, you know, it, it's kind of, uh, it's just that. It's a proposal at this point. But what the Office of School Safety and Security is doing is, is tangible. So there was a discussion in, in that webinar about how those two uh, elements might come together if the state goes forward with, uh, with Superintendent Navarra's KISS plan and, and the upwards of $20 million in grant money that uh, would go to schools to uh, enhance security. Yep, for sure. Head on over to Idaho Ed News. You'll have to scroll back to late last Friday uh, for that. But it looks like there is an uh, a truce in place and an alliance uh, working uh, together going forward. Uh, and so you can catch up on that if you want to. But it's still an election issue. We still, we'll see what happens with the elections and, you know, who is going to present a school safety proposal to the legislature? Is and, it going to be Sherry Barr? Is it going to be Cindy Wilson? What is this thing going to look like? And how are legislators going to respond to either, uh, you know, you know, the proposal from whoever winds up winning this race. Yeah, and, and just real quick to point it out there, like the legislature has already, you know, signed off on the current uh, school budget. And so I don't think it's a slam dunk by any stretch of the imagination that they're going to approve $20 million in supplemental funding uh, right when they get back to Boise. Uh, they may. They may consider it. Uh, but I don't think it's a slam dunk at all. Um, so we'll, we'll see what happens there and it's we'll follow that. It's a pretty sizable supplemental uh, appropriation that uh, Ibarra is talking about. And again, we don't know what, if elected, what Cindy Wilson would do and if she would want to try to ramp up something right in the middle of the school year. A lot we don't know. 
But we'll know better after the election and when the legislature hits town. Yeah. Speaking uh, of the election, I think that sets us up for the part where uh, I want to close down the podcast today, talking about politics, uh, looking ahead uh, to that November 6th, November 6th election, just six weeks away, uh, less than six weeks away. Uh, But a little bit of news uh, this week, but... uh, what do you want to start? Do you want to talk about some of the uh, candidate forums and debates that are coming up in the very near future? Yeah, well, let's kind of get people caught up to what they're what they can look for and you know what we'll be covering here in the next couple of weeks. So you will have the governor. Um, try try to say that again. You'll have the gubernatorial candidates, uh, Brad Little and Paulette Jordan, appearing on Tuesday night at the College of Idaho. And the, the topic of this forum is going to be fiscal policy, which uh, is uh, obviously a big chunk of what a, a governor has to work with, obviously has huge implications for school funding. Uh, I will be there. I'll cover that. Uh, we'll have that Tuesday night, so we'll have full coverage of that. And then the debate season really does start to ramp up the following week. Uh, we will have our forum on October 9th at Boise State University. You can attend or you can watch it on Facebook Live. At this point, we do have Cindy Wilson confirmed she will be there. We have made uh, repeated uh, overtures to Sherry Barra's campaign to see if she will attend. Uh, To this point, she has not accepted our invitations. It's an open invitation, so uh, up until the time we start the forum, uh, we'll make uh, space, obviously, for uh, Superintendent Ibarra if she attends. That's October 9th. uh, a week from Tuesday. Then on October 12th, both candidates will be on public television for the statewide Idaho debates. And we will both be there. Both uh, podcasters, <laughs> both <laughs> candidates. Yeah, right. And, and we will both uh, we will be on the reporter panel um, asking questions of the two candidates. So that's on October 12th. And you can watch that on public television that night. Uh, and we'll have full coverage uh of the debate, uh, probably uh, publish a story that uh, following Saturday, the 13th. So it really does start to ramp up now. I mean, the debate season starts to ramp up. The Sunshine Report uh, season starts to ramp up. We'll, we'll get some campaign finance reports in early October. So, you know, this is where it gets down to, you know, if you're getting a little bit burned out about uh, the back and forth about media coverage and you want to get down to talking about issues. Well, these forums should allow us to uh, drill down and get a sense of where candidates for governor and state superintendent and other state and federal offices, where these folks really stand on issues. So uh, by all means, make some time uh, to uh, watch these forums, to attend these forums, and uh, we will have coverage as we go. Yeah, that'll be our goal with uh, both uh our, our forum, our roundtable discussion, and also the debate that we're going to be doing. Uh, our goal will be to focus on the issues. Again, one of the things I'm most excited about with our event at Boise State on October 9th is we're going to be including uh, both educator and student voice. We have a principal who will be joining me on the reporter panel as well as a public school student, and they will be writing and asking their own questions of Cindy Wilson and hopefully uh, of Superintendent Ibarra if she decides to attend, which she will be welcome uh, to attend. But that's one of the most exciting things for me is on our forum, October 9th at Boise State University and live uh, on Facebook Live we will be including educator and student voice. I love that. I'm looking yeah. forward to that. I think it will make it uh, a very worthwhile uh, event yeah. worthy the, of those, your time. Those two panelists added so much to to the forum that we did in April. Now, these are different panelists, but I expect the same thing. Uh, I expect the same results. It, 
it makes such a difference when you have an educator and a student asking questions that, that they, you know, we don't feed the questions to them either. I mean, they're working on their questions even as we speak. And I expect that they'll come up with some questions that, uh, that I didn't think of that, uh, that really reflect their, you know, their on-the-ground stake in the debate. So, yes, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, meanwhile, we are writing our own questions as well that we will ask uh, for the public television debate and that I will ask during the roundtable. If you have something you're interested in and want to uh, suggest a question for us, maybe the best way to be to reach out uh, over Twitter at either of our personal handles or through at Idaho Ed News. If you have some questions about the superintendent's race that you would like to have us consider asking the candidates uh, fire away because that is something we're going to be working on over the next week uh, is developing our own questions and topics to explore. We would love to hear from our readers, love to hear from educators and taxpayers and parents out there about what's on their mind uh, as we look at the state superintendent's race. So that would really help us out. But I think that covers everything I wanted to get to. Another busy week uh, here at Idaho Education News and all the weeks will be continuing to be busy uh, up through November's general election. So thanks so much for joining us as we kind of break down uh, this intersection of uh, politics and policy. And Kevin, and, you had and, one more right. thing. And, and next week the podcast will be a little bit different. I will be out uh, most of next week. So there will still be a podcast, however. Yep, yep. Uh, so check back, uh, check back next Friday and uh, we'll get you more information about uh, the debates and the forums and how you can watch and participate and ask questions and all that good stuff. In the meantime, thanks as always for listening. We have a lot of fun on Extra Credit. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Have a good week.